right. Uh, Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. And I'm going to let you stay seated since we were standing so long during the prayer. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river the Euphrates and all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law Always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Title of the message is Entering The promised life. Point one is the picture of the promised life. This is Jewish history. This is how it happened. But in the sovereignty of God, this is also the picture of God's plan, his ultimate plan for the human race. Egypt is a picture of sin and the captivity of sin. The wilderness is a picture of the place we get our identity. It's there they make the covenant with God. It's there they build the tabernacle. It's there they find their identity. The promised land oftentimes has historically been thought of as heaven. We're going to get to Canaan land. We're going to cross the Jordan and finally get home. Folks, uh, thank God heaven is coming. But the the promised land, it is not a picture of heaven. There are no giants in heaven. There are nothing, there's nothing to fear in heaven. There's no enemies that are going to be have to be fought in heaven. The promised land is a picture of the promised life that God was bringing to the earth in his son, Jesus Christ. Here's what Jesus says. This is John 10.10. The thief came to kill, steal, and destroy. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. It is very, very important that when we hear life and Jesus says life, that we are meaning the same thing, that we're thinking the same thing that he's thinking. Because what he's not thinking here is the American life. He's not thinking you're going to have this amazing, comfortable life and I'm just going to, you're just, life's going to be awesome and, and, and you're not going to have any trouble. And that, that's not what this word means at all. Jesus said, it says that in him, Uh, was life. And it's the word is zoe. It is God's life. John 5, it says the Father has life 
in himself. And he has given the son to have life in himself. It is the Zoe life of God. Z-O-E. It is eternal life. Jesus says, here's why I came into the world. This is my ultimate plan. That you might have the Zoe. The Zoe that the Father has in himself, the Zoe that I have in himself, I want to impart that life to you. And I don't want to just give you that life. I want it to overflow out of you. I want to give it abundantly. I want the life of God to flow from your life in an abundant way. This is the promised life. What, what, what does it look like? Two things are in this life that God wants to overflow out of us. One is the beauty of God. The beauty, the character of Jesus Christ. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He wants the beauty of Jesus to be revealed through us. What else is in the abundant life? The, the power of God, the, the ministry of Jesus Christ, that power that God anointed him to release people from captivity. So it's both, it's not one or the other, it's both and. It's the character of God, the character of Jesus being released through us, through normal people, the character and the ministry, the beauty and the power. When we speak about revival, we are talking about the church coming alive to who they are in Jesus. The church beginning to reveal the beauty and the ministry of Jesus Christ. When we speak about awakening, we're speaking about the church now going out and so expressing the beauty and the, and the ministry of Jesus that the world starts waking up, that the kingdom of God starts advancing. The only way the kingdom of God can really advance is if more people get saved, more people come into the kingdom, more people embrace the values of the kingdom of God. And so revival is about the church, awakening is about the world. Now, as far as what does this look like? What does it look like for the church to go into the promised life? Of course, the best picture is the ministry of Jesus. Jesus expressed perfectly both the beauty of God and the ministry of God. And he said, I'm doing it as an example. I'm, uh, the things I'm doing, you're going to do. The works I'm doing, you're going to do. I want you, I want you to do uh, what I've done to you. I want you to do it to each other. Here's the problem with making Jesus alone our example. We know Jesus is in a different class than us. <laughs> He's without sin. It's just hard to say that's the, that's what we're going to follow. So, I like to look at the book of Acts. Because it's just folks like us. We've all come to know and love Peter because he was kind of a mess. And if God can use people like Peter, then he can use people like me. And so we look at the book of Acts, and here's what we, we, we need to understand. It is the beginning 
of the expression of the Zoe. It is the beginning. It's a very immature expression of the beauty and the ministry of Jesus on this earth. Now, it's the best we've seen so far, but it's not the best God has. God wants to go beyond the book of Acts in our day, in our time. There is a revival that God wants to bring that we must enter into, fully enter into the promised life. All right, that was point one. Here's point two. This is the second time. Joshua is experiencing a little deja vu. I've been here before. I've been in this exact place before, in this exact opportunity before, and last time we didn't go in, and we had Moses then. We are our star. We had the we had our hero, and we didn't go in under Moses, and now Moses is dead. What are the chances we're gonna go in with Moses dead? And God comes and says this. Here's what he says to Joshua. This is funny. Moses is dead. Why did he say that? Moses, Joshua, Moses has finished his race. Moses is dead, but I'm not. My purposes and my plans are very much alive. Moses is part of the witnesses now, Josh. It's your time. For such a time as this, you are here. It is very easy to miss what God is doing presently because of the good old days. Joshua remembers all the miracles. He remembers everything Moses did. He remembers how awesome Moses was and how Moses would meet with God. And, and, and he, he, those are fond memories. The good old days. Listen. The good old days can keep... Everybody's got the good old days. The good old days can be when you were in YWAM. The good old days can be where you were down at the house of prayer. The good old days can be when the Gary Palermo was doing revival meetings at MGT in the, in the 80s. The good old days, whatever, it, it's that time when it was fresh and it was alive and, and God was moving and, and you probably had a leap of growth at that time and church has never been the same quite since then. Since the good old days. That, that was church. That was church. Listen to what Isaiah says. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. Do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. I am doing something new. If you're stuck in the past, if you're stuck in your memories of the past, you're not going to perceive, you're not going to be aware of what I am I'm doing right now. Uh, The past is good and you'll be rewarded for it. But listen, it's dead to you right now. We need you in the now. 
We need you right now. We need you to listen to what God is saying right now. Thank God for the past. Paul says this one thing I do, I forget what's behind. I forget. I'm forgetting the mistakes. I'm forgetting the victories. I'm forgetting the glory days. I'm forgetting all that. I'm available right now. Okay. So I'm going to tell you about an experience I had a year ago, a year and a half ago. It was in February. Not this February, but a year earlier. I experienced deja vu. God said it's time to go into the land. It's time to take this church into revival. And the reason why it was deja vu is it happened to me 24 years earlier. I was in Faustin, Minnesota. It was the time of the Toronto blessing. And we were on the cusp of a massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And God told me to take the church into revival. I told God the church wasn't ready and didn't even want revival. And he just said, are you, are you going to follow me? Or are you going to follow what the crowd wants? This is what I'm asking you to do. And I've told those stories before, but <clears throat> after a few months uh, um, of, and it was interesting because while the adults were fighting, the teens were on fire for God. The teens were experiencing the glory and the presence of God so much so that teachers were calling their parents and like, uh, what's going on with your kid? Um, a, they're being really good. And two, they talk about Jesus at lunch. What's going on with your children? Anyway, we were, we were right there. And, uh, and we, we said no. And I remember the sadness in my heart that I felt. It was profound sadness because it wasn't me. They were rejecting it. It was, it was God. And um, there, were, there was a group that was very angry and saying the devil was doing all this stuff. And, um, but that wasn't really the group that made me sad. It was, it was the group that, that they, 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 they liked me and they were for me and, and they, they liked God, but they just, they just didn't want they didn't want to lose anybody. So we, if this is going to cause trouble, we would rather not have that. And uh, here's what I didn't understand at the time. I couldn't grasp at the time. This invitation was not just to my little church in Faustin. This invitation was happening all around our country. And the American church said no to God 24 years ago. And folks, what has happened since then? The church went back into the wilderness. And what has happened since then, you, all you have to do is look honestly at the facts of what's happened in the last 24 years to the church. For six decades, church attendance was steady in America. While Europe was going down and other places were going, church attendance for 60 years. And then in the late 90s, it started going straight down. Church attendance is down now 20% since then. Maybe more disturbing than that is the statistics on morality. 
The behavior and activity and even beliefs in the church are so similar to the world, it's hard to even distinguish which, which is which. Do you know the fastest growing religion in America? No religion. People are spiritual, but they don't associate themselves with any church anymore. Second grow, second fast, I can't, I'm not going to even give the number because somebody will look on there. Isn't that a problem with Google? You can't say anything now without somebody saying, no, I just checked it. So I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to let you check me. I'm just going to say this. One of the fastest growing religions in America is atheism. Atheism and agnosticism. I'm not going to say that these last 24 years have been without purpose. We went back into the wilderness. And God has done some things to prepare us to, go, to, 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 to come back into the current hour we're in. He, he, one thing he did, he's raised up prayer. The House of Prayer started in 1999, where a prayer meeting started down in Kansas City that's been going 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the last 20, 21 years. And it has spawned prayer, the importance of prayer, coming back to prayer, returning to the place of prayer. The other thing that's happened in these 24 years is identity. God has spoken again and again and again to get the church out of performance identity, out of my gifts, out of how big my church is or how, how big my car is. He has insisted on getting our identity of all of those things and back into Jesus and being favored sons and daughters that are resting in who Jesus made us. He is preparing us. Here we are. We're at the edge of revival again. And God's telling us to go in. Now I'll tell you what happened since then. But for, before I do that, I want to say something that's very, it's very troubling to me. When God gives you an opportunity, the word in Greek is kairos. It is a time that is an opportunity. It's a window that God opens up and he opens it up for a certain amount of time and you can either go forward and do what God wants you to do or at some time that opportunity is taken away. When they got to the promised land the first time, there was a kairos. There was a, there was a time that, that there was an urgency and a decision needed to be made and, and people talked and they got afraid and they grumbled and, and, and the consensus was we're not going in. We're going to go back to Egypt. And, and then that opportunity, that kairos was lost and people when they sense that loss, they sense that they're like, let's go in. Let's go in. We should have gone in. We're so sorry we didn't go in. You're right. We should go in. And Moses tries to explain to them, no, it doesn't work that way. We can't go in anymore. No, the kairos is gone. And they're like, no, we're going in. So they go in, they get beat up, and a bunch of people die. Seriously. Horrible. Kairos. There is a kairos open right now. I'm going to read to you a very, very sad verse of scripture. This is Luke chapter 19, 41 through 44. 
When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time, the kairos, of your visitation. Now for this group, when Jesus says this, it's already too late. It's, they, they had their opportunity. The Kairos was open. It was open for three years. It was open. And now it's closed. And judgment is going to come. It's, it's just a very sad day. God himself is weeping over Jerusalem. So here are the stakes in our present day. If the church does not go in this time, if the church in America does not rise up and go into the fullness that God is calling us to right now, the consequences will be devastating for America. I, I, I believe we will lose America as we now know it. But here's the interesting thing. For the enemy, the prize is not America. Oh, you know, of course the enemy wants to take America. Listen, the enemy's already got America. The enemy just touches that button, touches that button, touches the greed button, touches the anger button, the hate button, the fear button, the prejudice button, this button. He, he's the prince of the power of the air. My, oh, my. He's got people accusing and suspecting, and it's not just on, t- on news anymore. Now it's on the Internet and social. Everybody's hating everybody. and It's not about the prize for the enemy is not America. The prize that the enemy is after is the revival that God has promised to America. He's a thief. He wants to steal the revival that God has promised to America. That's what he's after. So what's his plan? I'll tell you what his plan is. Right now, he's distracting the church from the, getting them in the wrong fight. Church is taking the bait, getting into the political arguments and this argument and that argument, and, and everybody's got strong opinions, everybody's mad about everything, and everybody's sure that it's about this and that and the other thing. And, and uh, this is what the enemy wants to do. He wants to get us in the wrong, in the wrong battle. And think the prize is America. The prize isn't America. It's revival. He wants to steal revival from the church. So let's talk about, this is point three now, going into the land. Point one, follow the cloud, not the crowd. Joshua chapter 3, 3 and 4. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not 
Go near it. God says, you don't know where you're going anymore. For 39 years, you knew exactly where you were going. You knew every stone in that desert. You, it was all familiar. You knew how to do church in the wilderness. You, you had it memorized. But this, it's going to be different now. You're going to have to keep the ark before you. The ark is where the manifest glory, the Shekinah glory of God rested. Wherever the ark goes, you need to follow it. And you need to remember that it's the presence of God. So don't, you, you have respect for it. You don't, don't touch it. <laughs> you, you, you recognize God is leading and you need to have a proper fear of the Lord in the season. He will lead you. He himself will lead you. You are not to lead your life by politics. You're not to run your churches by politics. You're not to take a poll, find out how many people want to do this, how many people want to do that. Uh, you, need, you need to let me lead And in the fear of God, you need to follow me. Follow the cloud and not the crowd. So I asked the Lord, I I brought this to the staff and and I said, guys, it's it's time to go in. It's time. It is time. I've been here before. We didn't go in last time. It is time. We need to go in. They're like, well, what, what are we supposed to do? I said, I have no idea. He didn't tell me what to do. He didn't say how to go into land. He just said, go in. And so the first thing we did is we started these nights called Worshiping and Waiting. And they are these two-hour, about once a month, two hours, where there is no agenda, where where we, we just worship and we wait. And instead of telling God what we want him to do, instead of bringing an agenda to the meeting, we let God set the agenda. Just come in and, and he knows we're just people. He knows we're, we don't know that well. We're not that good at hearing him, but, but it's not about that. It's just the humility of saying, we don't want to tell you what to do. We don't want to have our idea of what the world needs. We want to start with what you want to do. How are you seeing things? That's why this eyesight thing is so important. God, what are you saying? What do you want to do? And let's empty in worship our own agendas, our own thoughts, our own strong opinions. And let's be in the presence of God and, and wait for him. In these meetings, we've done them now for the last year and a half. Great meetings. But somewhere in there, God spoke, gave the first key to going into the land. <laughs> Here was the first thing, he's, the first key of going into the land, going into the promised life. It's not about a meeting called worshiping and waiting, it's about a life of worship and waiting. What the meetings are, are practice. For how we live our lives. God wants us to live our lives instead of with our dream, with our goal, and trying to get God, God, you know I want to be this. You know I want to do this. You know I was hoping to do this by this time. To, to get rid of all that. Get rid of all your plans, goals, stuff. Get rid of the American dream and start with this. God, what do you want to do in my life? What is, what is, your, what is your purpose? If I can bring a smile to your face, and my job is to be a doorkeeper at the house of the Lord, that will be enough for me. God, what do you have for me? 
and in the context of worship, to live our lives in the Spirit. In that Spirit. That was the first thing the Lord gave us. Here's the second thing He said that you need to face fear and anger. Last year at this conference, I preached on fear and anger um, in relation to the promised land. Fear. Why does God, the almighty God, say the exact same words three times in nine verses? Only be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Have I not sent you? Am I not with you? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be with you. I've already given you all this. G- g- only be strong and courageous. Why would he say that? Here's why. It matters. They really won't go in. The, the idea of fatalism, that God will just do whatever God does, that is absolutely not true. The first group could have gone in. But fear made them weak. Fear made them retreat. And, and, and it's funny how we affect one another. He's speaking to Joshua. Joshua is going to affect everybody else. You've got to be courageous, Joshua. It's time to man up. For such a time as this, you're going to have to have courage. It's going, there are real enemies in this land that could kill you. I get that. They are giant. They do have walled cities. I need you to look at me. I need you to hear me, son. Be courageous. Be courageous. Stop living in fear. Don't live in the past and don't live in fear. It will cost you the promised life. So what is going on right now in this country? What is, why is God allowing COVID-19 and COVID-19 seems to keep going and now we've got riots and everything else and everything is shaking and everything is uncertain and no one knows the future and what's, what's this all about? I don't know, but I'll tell you one thing it's about is God is asking his people to conquer fear. Now, I want to be very, very clear. The idea that if you're at church, you're not afraid, and if you're watching at home, you are afraid, or if you have a mask on, you're afraid, and if you don't have a mask on, that, 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 that. guys, please don't do, do any of that. There's no, there's, that's not what this is about. Everybody is being asked to conquer their fears. This is not Goliath. This is David killing the lion and the bear. Do you notice that David kills the lion and the bear and no one sees except him and Jesus? Him and Jesus kill the lion and the bear. And it's private. Goliath's very public and everybody else sees it. This is very private. God is asking you personally with him to conquer fear. He's asking you to be courageous, whatever that looks like for you, whether you're sitting here or at home, whether you wear a mask when you go into your bathroom, do whatever you want to, conquer fear, (laughs) conquer fear in Jesus' name. You and Jesus, he's going to show you, he's letting fearful things happen so that we can face them and conquer them in Jesus' name. 
Why, why is there so much uncertainty? I mean, you can't, you don't know, am I going to have a job tomorrow? Am I going to have a job next week? Listen, why? Because God wants you to conquer fear in Jesus' name. There is one that doesn't work on our economy. He doesn't work on our future. He doesn't work on our fears. He doesn't even probably watch most of our news. He is in heaven. And he is enthroned on those who are looking to him, who are worshiping him, who are turning to him. And he's bringing the culture of heaven to earth in regular human beings. Be courageous. In me, John 16, 33, you may have peace. In the world, you will have trouble. But be of good courage, because I've overcome the world. He still overcomes the world. We must overcome fear. We must be courageous. The stakes are very high right now. And the other thing we have to face is anger. Moses and Aaron didn't get to go into the promised land, and here's why. They became frustrated with people. These people just aren't getting it. These people just aren't doing what they should do. These people keep grumbling. These people, 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 people. And then God said, I want you to speak to the rock. But Moses was angry and he was frustrated. And because of that, he was reckless. And instead of speaking to the rock, he hit it. But God, in his infinite mercy gives him another chance. Hits the rock the first time and there's no consequences. Nor nor is there any water. And there's this delay. And Moses can repent. And Aaron, who also heard the command, speak to the rock. Aaron has a chance to speak up. Moses! Moses, we're not supposed to hit the rock. You shouldn't have hit the rock. But Aaron doesn't speak up. And he hits the rock the second time. And then it's over. And God comes immediately and says, you and Aaron aren't going in. And here's why, he says. I will be treated as holy by those who draw near to me. Friends, you don't have the luxury to live in anger. Anger makes you reckless. Frustration. I'm so frustrated with this COVID. Get over it. Get back in the fear of God. Get back in the fear of God. It makes you reckless. And it will keep us out of the promised land. I had an experience. I shared it last year at the conference. I'm not going to share the experience, but I'm going to just give the effect of it. It was in 2011. And God came in a very dramatic experience and showed me that I was an angry pastor. Scary, because I'm, I'm ministering. I'm ministering every week. I'm careful not to minister. I know enough to not minister out of anger. So I don't minister from the wound, but I'm angry. One of the groups I was angry at were pastors. I felt like pastors were the reason why the church in America was asleep, and I was just angry at them for not doing more, not being better, da-da-da-da-da. And God said, listen, here's what he showed me. 
Anger has put a ceiling on your ministry. You can only go so far. I can only use you so much right now. People don't trust people that are angry. And let me tell you something. God doesn't trust people that are angry. Why? Because they're reckless. Reckless, they do more than what God tells them to do. And God's calling us to live in the fear. When God showed me that I put a ceiling on my own ministry, that anger left so quickly. I stopped judging pastors. I just, I'm not their judge. Jesus died for them. Jesus is, is their judge. I'm not their judge. You know, I don't know the funny thing that happened starting in 2011. God took me all over the world training pastors. He took me to China, India, Malaysia, the Dominican Republic, Mexico, Bailey's. Everywhere I go, people want me to speak. To, I went to Canon and spoke at our national convention. People want me to speak to pastors. They're, the ceiling is off. Very, very sad story is the story of the zealots. Here's why it's so, so sad. These are a young group of very zealous Israelites, very zealous Jews, and, but they let anger get in. And to be a zealot in the first century, um, you didn't only have to agree with Roman oppression and the atrocities that Rome was doing and how sad what had happened to the Jewish people because of Rome. You, to be, but to be a zealot, you didn't just have to agree with all that and mourn that. You had to agree with their answer. And their answer was anger. You needed to be angry. You needed to take this anger. And the answer was revolt. And to honor the Roman government was being part of the system and honoring the system. And so you needed to be angry and, you, and it was all about planning of how to overthrow the government. And here's the sad thing about the zealots. Jesus was on earth walking among them. And they missed the time of their visitation because they were in the wrong fight because of anger. The enemy is working very, very hard today to get beloved Christians in the wrong battle and making it think it's about Republican or Democrat and it's about masks or not masks or it's about what the public health is doing and and it's a deception. He, want, he wants us to believe that this is a, there's a political answer for America. Guys, it's not about, it's not, that's a distraction. America doesn't need a minor adjustment. We need a revival. We, 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 need, we need a revival in America. And all, and all of those zealots and all of that young energy that could have been used in the kingdom of God and could have been part of the early church was lost because they missed the kairos. They were in the wrong battle, so they missed the kairos. There's a lot of anger right now, isn't there, guys? There's a lot of causes to join right now. I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 8. A few verses that are very important for our present time. 
Now, about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. So if you think you know something right now, if you think you know something about America and what America should do, and and if you think you know something, listen, let me tell you something. You don't know yet as you ought to know because that's the wrong, it's your strong opinion. It's the wrong thing. Knowledge puffs us up. Love builds up. Love is what God is, what God builds with. If any man thinks he knows something, he doesn't yet know as he ought to know. But if he loves God, he is known by God. So let me explain just a little of what's going on at Corinth. The church is being divided over non-essential issues. And people have very strong opinions about food sacrifice to idols and about holy days and about, and, and about alcohol, whether it should or shouldn't. And, and there's very, very strong opinions and they are dividing the church at Corinth. And Paul says to them, listen, it's not about your great knowledge that you are so sure you're right. Even if you are right, it's not about that. It's about love. Do you know what he says in the next chapter? He says, because it's about love and not knowledge, I want you to lay down your freedom and love people that don't agree with you. And don't flaunt your freedom in their face, but rather pull back and love them because they are more important than the argument about this non-essential thing that you might be a little more right than they are. But he said, love builds up, but knowledge puffs us up and then it divides. So here's what I'm asking the people at City Church. I'm not asking you to not have opinions about all this stuff. I certainly have opinions about all that. Here's what I'm asking for all the people at City Church. Would you please soften your opinions? Would you consider taking them down off of of social media? Pastor Tom, I've got courage to speak the truth. They need to know the truth. Listen, they're not listening to the truth. Have you guys ever heard this saying? People don't care what you know until they know that you care. If you want to use social media, use social media to love people. Use it to love people. Use it to to affirm people. But listen, here's when you know for sure that you're supposed to speak the truth to them. When they ask you what you think. But right now, nobody's asking. They just want to tell. They just want to tell what the truth is. Here's the truth. Deal with it. Guys, it just makes people angry. You're, you're not winning them. You make them more angry. You, make, you lock them farther in their position. It's time for the church to rise up 
And instead of it being all about our knowledge and about how right we are, it's time for us to be, to lay down our freedom, to express our opinions, and to soften those opinions and start loving people. Because I want you to see what the enemy's after. I don't think it's hard work for the enemy to divide our nation. I just think he touches that person and that person and that person, and everybody hates each other. <laughs> but he's, he's, he's trying to divide the church. A house divided will not stand. He doesn't care what about. He'll divide us on masks. He'll divide us on COVID-19. He'll divide us on uh, politics. He'll divide us on doctrine. He just looks for any way that he can divide. And then he touches whatever your strong opinion is with a little pride, puffs you up, and now no one can talk to you because you're right and you got it from God and da-da-da-da-da. And and, and we're, we're in a mess right now. And so Jesus is calling his people to deal with their own anger. You are not their judge. No matter how wrong they are, you didn't die for them and you're not their judge. Jesus is their judge. And maybe, guess what? Maybe they're not as wrong as you think they are. Maybe they're hurting. Maybe there's something behind that anger that you can't even see right now because you're just about you. Jesus actually, here's why Jesus is a great judge. He knows exactly what's going on in everybody's life. He knows why they say what they say. He knows the fear behind it. He knows what's going on in people's lives. It was such a relief for me, guys. Oh, my. I don't have to judge pastors anymore. Woo! I'm not their judge. What a revelation. I don't have to be angry anymore. I can just love them. And, that, and at the very same time I made that choice, the ceiling came off of my ministry. Guys, God wants to take the ceiling off your ministry. He wants to take the ceiling off this church. He wants to pour glory out, folks. He wants to pour beauty and power in this church. But he needs us to let go of our anger. Process it with God. Say, God, I'm so, I've been angry. Sorry. I, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't want to hinder my own ministry anymore. I don't want to hinder my own life anymore. Jesus, you alone are the judge. You alone are judge. Okay. And then in this spring, it was right before Easter, the Lord gave this word. Remember, how do we go into land? God, we want to go into land. How do we go in? Worship and waiting, one. Face down, fear and anger, because they'll keep you out. And then number three, I'm, I'm walking. It was during the, we were in COVID-19. It's right before Easter, and, and I'm on my daily prayer walk, and this line comes into my, my mind. You won't cross over unless you take the cross over. You won't cross over. And I knew immediately it was the land. It was all about going into the land. You will not cross over unless you take the cross over. What does it mean to take the cross over? Two things. Number one, you have to take over. To get, to get into the promised land, you have to take over the finished work of Jesus Christ. It is finished. 
You don't have to live in sin. You don't have to live in shame. You don't have to live in failure. You don't have to live in guilt. It is finished. Blood was shed to wash you clean. God does not define you by your sin. He doesn't define you by your failure. It doesn't matter how bad they were. He does not define you by your past. It is finished. If anyone is in Christ, anyone, it doesn't matter how bad their life was, how much they've done, if anyone is in in Christ, this is how God thinks about them. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. God defines you by his grace and by his love and by his son, Jesus Christ. He's bringing you into your future, which is beauty and power. That's what he's thinking about. Who's thinking about your past? Who's thinking about your failure? The enemy is. And he will use the law, it's the performance identity, to keep you shut down in guilt and fear and disqualify yourself. See, Moses, guys, Moses represents the law. This is, this is John chapter 1, verse 18. That the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law, Moses is the law. That's why Moses can't go into the land as a type. Moses can only get you to the edge of the, the performance and your bad performance. The most that can do for you is get you to the edge of the land that shows you you're, si- you're a sinner that needs a savior. But Moses can't take you in. Thank you, Amanda. I like that. Talk to me, girl. Talk to me. Joshua is the the Hebrew name for Jesus. Jesus alone can take us in. Jesus has done it for us. We get his righteousness. We get his future. We get his power. We get get everything. To, To take the crossover means you've got to... Rest your identity in Jesus Christ. Or what's going to happen? You're just going to get dragged back into the wilderness. You're just going to get dragged back. And your life's going to be a cycle of going around the circle. And you'll never never fulfill the full destiny because the full destiny is the promised life. It's not to wander around in the wilderness. Second thing about taking the cross over is the cross as an example Mark 8, 31 through 35. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. He said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. So here's what's going on in this text. Peter, Jesus has just asked them, um, who do you say that I am? And this is the first time that the disciples out of their own mouth say, and it's Peter that says it, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Which is like, wow, that's awesome. Peter, flesh and blood hasn't shown you this, but the Father in heaven. But there's a huge problem with them recognizing him as the Christ. Here's the problem. Their definition of Christ is a political leader that's going to lead them out of oppression in Rome. So once they say you're the Christ, 
This is the first time Jesus says he's going to die. Why? Because he now has to define what Christ means. There's going to be a cross, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to be rejected. And Peter rises up. No, 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 no. That's not what's going to happen. And he says, listen, Peter, that your darkness is ruling you right now. And then he says something very, very troubling. I mean, it's troubling that Jesus has a cross. But then Jesus says, guess what, Peter? It's not just me. Everybody that wants to follow me also is going to have the cross. Everybody's going to have to die. Whoever wishes to save his life, if it's all about preserving your own life, you're, going to, you're never going to fulfill your, your God-given destiny. You're actually going to have to lose your life. You're going to have to take up your cross to find it. That my cross is not just a substitute for my finished work so that you can go free. It's also an example because your life, for you to come into your destiny, you're going to have to die to a bunch of stuff. And so it always seems safer, doesn't it? To go back to the wilderness. Why? There's no giants in the wilderness. There's no battles in the wilderness. But let me tell you something about going back into the wilderness. People die there. People die in the wilderness. It's risky to go into the the promised life. And you're going to have to say, if I perish, I perish. I might die. There's giants. There's real wars. There's real battles. And I might die. And what you have to say is, all right, God, whatever. Whatever. I I don't think fear completely leaves until you say that. If I perish, I perish. But I'm all in. So this is the last thing that God has told us. And it's about freedom fighters. We have had in the wilderness, we get our identity as the family of God. And that's such a gift and so precious. But to go into the land, we have to take this identity as the army of God. One is about our identity that's secured in Jesus Christ. One is about our assignment to advance the kingdom of God. It's going to take an army mentality to advance the kingdom of God. Granted, we're fighting with different weapons. We're, we're not fighting people. It's against darkness. But to, to advance the kingdom, not just hold on to the kingdom until Jesus comes and rescues us, but to advance the kingdom, we're going to have to be the army of God. We're going to have to toughen up a little. Our prayer cannot be, God, give me a trouble-free life. Give me a difficulty-free, burden-free life. You're going to have to stop praying that prayer. That's an American prayer. (laughs) That's not a kingdom prayer. The The kingdom prayer is, God, give me your life, whatever it means. Let me be with you wherever you go. So I want to, I'm closing with this. Numbers 32, 18. We will not return to our homes until each of the Israelites has reached their inheritance. The tribe of Reuben 
Gad and half of the tribe of Manasseh got this idea. We'll take our inheritance on the east of the Jordan. They had conquered a couple lands on the other side and they're like, this is perfect for us. We like it over here. We'll just take our land here. And Moses says, listen, guys, uh, you're going to discourage the people and they made a promise to him. The promise was this. We will go in front of our, all the other tribes, and we will fight until they get into their inheritance before we come into ours. And Moses said this. This is where that famous line is. He says this. All right, if you're willing to do that, and you will fight until they get into their inheritance before you take yours, then that's good. I'll let you do this. But make sure of this. If you don't, your sin will find you out. Your sin will find you out. That was the sin that they didn't keep fighting. And so here's what God's calling us as freedom fighters. He's calling us to fight until everybody comes into their inheritance. He's fighting to fight for every race, to fight for every denomination, to fight for every enemy, to keep, to literally have a no retreat until everybody comes into their Pastor Tom, that means we would, we would, we'd have to be doing that until Jesus comes back. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. It would literally be, you'd have to sign up to not retreat and to be a freedom fighter for the rest of your life. And that, it, that you are on a mission for every human being, every church, whatever church they go to, whatever color they are, whatever race they are, whatever cult they're in, whatever, that you are a freedom fighter. You are in battle for them to come into their inheritance because Jesus didn't just die for you. He died for them. Jesus doesn't just want you to be a favorite son and daughter. He wants them to be a favorite son and daughter. And I'm going to commit my life to a sacrificial life that will fight until everybody comes into their inheritance. So I want to I close with a story. The worship team can come. I want to tell you about a man named William J. Seymour. He was a black man born in the late 1800s in Louisiana, came from a family that had been slaves. The slaves were set free in the Civil War, and then they were re-enslaved by the Jim Crow laws that, that put slaves back into, really, a, a mentality, anyway, of slavery. And as a young boy, he started getting revelations of Jesus and his identity in Christ, and he decided that he was not going to live under the suppression, and he went north. Came to Indianapolis, and he eventually, some people got him in contact with a man named Charles Parham, who was running a Bible school in Houston, Texas, and he went back down to Houston just to go to this school, and it turned out, because of the laws in Texas, he couldn't go to the school, because whites could only be with whites, and blacks had to be with blacks, but he wanted what Charles Parham had, and Charles Parham said, listen, you can't be in this classroom, it would be illegal, and what I'm going to suggest is illegal too, but I'm going to open the door and you can sit outside. And Charles Parham started sharing about God's desire to pour out the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that there was actually a new prayer language that went with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
And William Seymour went to California, living by faith. Oh, he had gotten smallpox while he was in Indianapolis, and he lost one of his eyes. So he had one glass eye. So it's a black man with a a glass eye, and he goes to California, Southern California, and he preaches the very first night at this new church that has invited him to be their interim pastor. And he preaches on Acts 2-4, on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues. And at this time, he does, he's never had the experience. <laughs> he's never spoken in tongues. He's just contending for what the Bible says. There is an experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that is beyond what we currently have. They, they were teaching, this, there was a second experience that made you holy and took away the sin. It was very confusing what they were believing. But he said, there is a second empowering that has power with it, and there's this prayer language. And so he preaches that message, and the next time that he goes to church, the doors are locked. They've locked him out. They've changed the locks. And so he goes to somebody's home, and starts having meetings pursuing God for the fullness of what God has promised in Scripture. And God starts pouring out His Holy Spirit. And they can't fit the people in the house. And so they go out on the porch and the lawn is now filled with people and then the, 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 the porch collapses. And so they're like, this isn't going to do. So they get, they, they get this old... Um, barn it had been a church then it became a barn and it was the most famous address in all Pentecost history 312 Azusa Street and they rented this building and people came white and black and fixed this up and for the next three years people came from all over the world every color every race and the very man that had to sit outside while white people taught welcomed and persevered with white people and pastors and blacks and whites and China. They came from all over the world. And for three years, this meeting started and it never stopped. It went 24 hours a day. And there would just be people, there were people waiting on God all the time. And there were services. And, and, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit was poured out. And God used this freedom fighter named William Seymour to open this thing up for you and I. Why am I telling that story? Because right now God wants to raise up a whole generation of freedom fighters that will open the door for anyone that wants to come. Nobody has to sit outside. And here's what the Lord spoke to me right before this meeting. He's asking us to fight for victory from victory. He says to Joshua, you're going to win. Because I'm going to be with you and I've already promised you the land. You are going to win. Here's all I need. You've got to fight. You've got to fight. You're going to fight from victory. Don't, don't, don't get into fighting for victory. Listen, Jesus already won the victory on the cross. Don't, don't, don't get your identity because then you get back into performance and you get back into striving. Listen, the victory is already secured in Jesus. 
We're fighting for victory, yes, but we are fighting from victory. It's from rest. Rest is actually the most powerful place that we have. Very soon, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet, Romans 16, 20. That, that, our, our most powerful place is resting in Christ. But God's saying, I need, I need you, Joshua. I need you to fight. I, I, I can't have you relax. I can't have you retreat in fear. I, I can't have you go back into the world. I need you in this hour to fight. So could we stand together? So here's what I'm asking for tonight. And I believe the Lord is asking for it. We are in a kairos. God has graciously kept this open. I love, I love Revelation 3.9. I know you're weak, but I'm going to open up a door that no man can shut. I'm going to keep it open until you get through it. And honestly, uh, just to be completely honest, a year and a half ago when God said, go into the land again. Of course, the wounds of last time came back. And just to be honest with you, I'm going to tell you what I, what I think he told me at the time. They're going to go in this time. Uh, yeah, I, I, I believe we're going in, guys. I, 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 believe, I, I believe we're going in. And not because I think we're great, but I think he's going to multiply grace for us. I think he's going to multiply grace for us. So here's what I'm asking for tonight. For you to say, Lord, I, I, I sign up to be a freedom fighter. No retreat for the rest of my life. I will not retreat. I'm going to press in for the fullness of what you have. I'm, I, I haven't been this way before, but I'm, I'm not going to live to save my life. I'm not going to live to preserve my life. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to live for the American dream. I'm going to sign up to go wherever you want me to go and and, and I'm going to fight for my brothers and sisters the rest of my life. Whatever race they are, whatever economic thing they are, whatever denomination, they are, I'm going to fight for their freedom, for their inheritance, for the rest of my life. Now, if you want to make that tonight, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> we could never do that. But the Holy Spirit could do that in us. The Holy Spirit could actually, we, we could just give him our willingness and he could actually release in this place tonight, in your own heart, the power to make this true. And so if you're willing and want to be a freedom fighter the rest of your life, I want you to just open your arms like this. We're going to pray. Lord, I love people, but I have little faith in people and what they can accomplish. <laughs> no matter how strong they say they're going to do it, and they want to do it, and they, they mean well. And Lord, so we, we have no, we're not disillusioned about who we are, God. And I include myself in that. We're just people. But you're a great God. And this is an urgent hour. And you are able to multiply grace. 
And tonight you're asking us if we will be freedom fighters. If we will go into this promised life, not just for ourselves, but that we will be willing to stay in this thing until Jesus comes back. Lord, would you come? Would you come and seal every single heart? Father, those who are here, those who are watching on live stream, that honestly, during this message, the issue has been fear. Lord, right now, we just give you that fear. We say, Lord, I I don't want to be afraid anymore. I want to be courageous. Jesus, give me courage. Devil, I rebuke fear in Jesus' name. And Father, for those that are here or those watching, that say, oh boy, I'm one of the angry ones. I've been angry. I've been fighting the wrong battle. I'm mad at my brother. I'm mad at my sister-in-law. I'm mad at those relatives. I'm mad at the Republicans. I'm mad at the Democrats. I'm mad at the government. I'm mad at public health. God, tonight, I don't want to be angry anymore. I don't want there to be a ceiling on my destiny. I don't want to miss what you're doing because I got in the wrong battle. The battle's not against flesh and blood that I've been angry with. So God, tonight, I forgive them and I release judgment to you. You alone are judge. So you judge them. And God, frankly, I I actually, as a freedom fighter, don't want them to get judgment. I want them to get mercy. So God, grant them to repent. Lord, we live in a country that has given us many, many comforts and, and, ma- and made life easier than it is for the rest of the world. And Lord, we don't want to live for the idol of comfort. We don't want to live in the fear of losing our little comfortable way of life. Lord, we, 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 we say the great prize is not America and our way of life. But the great prize that the enemy wants is this revival that you want to bring. And Lord, so we say, even if our life is difficult, even if it's uncomfortable, if I perish, I perish. But I'm going to perish with you smiling at me all the way, Jesus. So Lord, would you come and seal your people. God, thank you that I'm a favorite son and daughter. Tonight I'm signing up for the army. I'm, sign me up, Jesus. Whatever quadrant, squadron you put me in, whatever position you put me in, I'm in your army. I am here to obey commander-in-chief. Give me instructions. In Jesus' name.